I've done several episodes on close and interesting U.S. presidential elections throughout history. Mainly, they were there to put current events into perspective, so you can realize that the controversies of today are really not all that new. However, there was one election that might be considered the closest and the most interesting in history, but the lessons for today are much less simply because they changed the rules after the election, and there was never one like it again. So in that spirit, let's learn more about the presidential election of 1800 on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, I'm Ellie. And I'm Lisa. And we're the hosts of Sweet Bitter, a podcast all about Sappho. So tell me, Ellie, why do I need to know about Sappho? She was the first woman writer we hear from in the Western world and the first lyric poet. And in my opinion, one of the best lyric poets of all time. Oof, no bias there at all. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you may have also seen the meme Sappho and her friend circulating the internet. That is a reference to the erasure of Sappho's identity as a woman who loved other women in her time. She is also where the words sapphic and lesbian originate from. Find Sweet Bitter, a Sappho podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We can't wait to see you there. There were a whole bunch of things about the election of 1800 which were unique, the biggest of which is that it was the first and only time in U.S. history that a sitting president ran against a sitting vice president. Incumbent President John Adams was the nominee of the Federalist Party, and his opponent was the sitting vice president, Thomas Jefferson, of the Democratic-Republican Party. 
The reason why we had a situation where the president and vice president were members of different political parties had to do with a quirk of how the Constitution was originally written. The original selection process was that the Electoral College would deliberate and vote for various candidates for president. Whoever got the most votes would be the president, and whoever got the second most votes would be vice president. Every elector received two votes, and there wasn't a specific vote for vice president. So, in 1796, you wound up with two founding fathers as president and vice president, and they didn't really get along at all. Because everyone recognized that this was a problem, in 1800, the political parties offered up separate candidates for both president and vice president. The Federalists nominated Charles Pickney of South Carolina, and the Democratic-Republicans nominated Aaron Burr of New York. The plan was that the electors from each party would cast their two votes for both candidates on the party ticket, but then one elector would cast their second vote for someone else, such that the candidate for president would get one more vote than the candidate for vice president, but each would still have more than the candidates from the other party. If that sounds like a giant kludge to get around the rules, you're right. And as we'll see, it didn't even work. The election itself was close but straightforward. Elections back then were not like they are now. They were spread out from April to October, and there really wasn't much of a popular vote. Almost all of the states selected their electors via the state legislature. News, which traveled slowly back in 1800, started to dribble in about which states voted for who. Going into October, Adams and Jefferson were tied 63-63 to with only South Carolina remaining. In the end, with several states splitting their electors, the final tally was Jefferson 73 and Adams 65. Over for vice president, Aaron Burr received 73 votes, Charles Pickney received 64, and John Jay received 1. And this is where the problem started. As I mentioned before, there wasn't a special vote for vice president. The vice president was just whoever got the second most votes. The Federalist Party stuck to the plan with one person voting for John Jay instead of Charles Pickney, making sure that Adams would get one more vote. The Democratic-Republicans screwed up and gave both of their candidates an equal number of votes. Either they forgot to have one elector change their vote, or they never planned it properly to begin with. Either way, it meant that the results of the Electoral College were a tie, and there was no winner. In the event that no one received a majority in the Electoral College, it was then sent to the House of Representatives who would decide. However, it wasn't as simple as a vote of the members of the House. Each state delegation regardless of how many members were in that delegation, received one vote. In 1800, there were 16 states, so to win, you'd have to get nine states to vote for you. You'd think that this would just be a formality. The Democratic-Republican Party already picked Thomas Jefferson to be their presidential nominee, and this tie electoral vote was really just an accident, so this should have been simple to rectify. It was not. As it became clear what was happening, many Democratic-Republicans encouraged Burr to step aside. However, not only did he refuse to do so, but he openly entertained the idea of becoming president himself. In fact, there were rumors floating around of Burr offering political appointments to Federalists who would vote for him in the House. So not only did the election of 1800 start out with a sitting president running against a sitting vice president, but it ended up with a presidential candidate running against his own vice presidential running mate from the same ticket. The election in the House took place in February of 1801 and the old Congress was still sitting, and this Congress was controlled by the Federalists who controlled the delegation of eight states. But the Federalists hated Jefferson, so they tried to block Jefferson and get Burr elected. Also, if no one could get a majority, then the sitting Secretary of State, John Marshall, would be the acting president 
until someone could be chosen. And he was a Federalist. On February 11th, the House cast their first vote. Jefferson won eight states, Burr won six, and two states had divided ballots. They voted again with the same results. And again, and again, and again. There were 35 votes in total through February 17th, with the results exactly the same each time. Now, if you've seen the musical Hamilton, you probably know what happens next. Alexander Hamilton, former Secretary of the Treasury and staunch Federalist, started a letter-writing campaign on behalf of his longtime antagonist, Thomas Jefferson. Hamilton didn't like Jefferson, and they butted heads all the time in the Washington administration. However, he had zero respect for Aaron Burr. He viewed Jefferson as the lesser of the two evils. As Lin-Manuel Miranda put it in Hamilton, Jefferson has beliefs, Burr has none. On the 36th ballot, Hamilton managed to swing Maryland and Vermont over to Jefferson. Delaware and South Carolina went from Burr to being split. That made the final results Jefferson 10, Burr 4, with two split state delegations. Jefferson won, but he was stuck with a guy who was arguably the worst vice president in American history. After the election was over, they passed the 12th Amendment in time for the election of 1804. The president and the vice president were elected separately, and the problems of 1800 never happened again. Not surprisingly, Jefferson abandoned Burr as a running mate in 1804. Burr pretty much earned it. While he was still a sitting vice president, he killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. After he left office, he was tried for treason, with the Jefferson administration leading the charge against him. Jefferson, in one of the first examples of executive privilege, refused to testify on Burr's behalf. The election of 1800 is an interesting chapter in American history, but there isn't much we can really take away from it to apply today. The 12th Amendment ensured that you'll never see a sitting president running against a sitting vice president again, and you'll certainly never see two running mates running against each other. Executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is James Makala. Please remember to support the show over at Patreon.com, where you can get exclusive merchandise and to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review to have your review read online.